Welcome to another episode of No Challenges Remaining. I'm Ben Rothenberg, joined once again by my dear friend, Courtney Nguyen. Hi, Courtney. Hello, Ben. Are you glad the Australian Open is over? We're about 24 hours after the men's final. How do you feel? How was this slam for you? It was good. I think that it sets up a few storylines, but not as many as I was kind of hoping. Okay. You know, I mean, I think that at any major where you have all this, like, stuff happen but then at the end of the day the number ones win pretty dominantly for the most part yeah like it's hard to really extrapolate from that simply because it's what i tweeted this from the si account the other day like you know they are who we thought they were yeah and every and 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 for the most part across the board that's what you saw on the men's and the women's side is that everybody everybody kind of performed as their narratives dictated you know, yes. whether it's an Anna Ivanovich crashing out in the first round again, Madison Keys like, living up to her potential, Sloane Stevens having a forgettable one, Victoria Azarenka returning to form, uh, Roger kind of crashing out and looking a bit fatigued, um, Rafa... Rafa being a bucket full of question marks yep, still. Still, still. Andy Murray kind of returning to form. Step by step, step and not by quite step. there. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah it just kind of was like, yeah, okay, I knew all that. That's what I thought. I think that in a lot of ways... This tournament confirmed, I guess, things that we already knew. But in that way, it seems a bit disappointing. There's definitely no, like, boom, this happened yeah. at this tournament, especially at the end. Yeah. I mean, we can talk about, we'll get more into Madison Keys and Madison Brengle and all sorts Nick of Kyrgios. other. Nick Kyrgios. obviously. But then again, none of those were, like, with the exception of Brengle, I think. Nobody was completely out of left field in this yeah. tournament. Yeah. I mean, it basically shows that the rankings are holding up well or yeah. the hype machine has been accurate in the forecasting of people, so that's all good. Um, but yeah, overall, this was definitely not a seismic slam. This no. is not like after Chilish and Shikori, where we were like, wow, what did we just see? Or Vavrinka Lina. Or Vavrinka Lina, or Bartoli, or, yeah. you know, even Kvitova coming back and winning another slam, coming, no one really shook Expecting up, shook him, things yeah. up. So with that in mind, we'll give you a nice, stirred, not shaken Aussie Open revisit here. Start with the men's final, which was the last chapter written on this story called the 2015 Australian Open. Men always go last to Grand Slams, though I do think the women's final was a much more compelling event in a lot of ways. In 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 total. In total, for sure. Yeah, because I think obviously if you go set by set, I think the first two sets of the men's final were, were great. It was just incredible tennis, but the way that it kind of flipped and the way that it ended. You almost forget that those two sets of tennis yeah, happened, totally. which is such a bummer because it was so good. To recap briefly, the two guys, Djokovic won the first set in a tiebreak, Andy Murray won the second set in a tiebreak. Murray was up 2-0 in the third, and then he only won one more game. Yeah, It went 6-3, 6-0 for Djokovic in the third and fourth sets. Murray imploded, I think it's fair to yeah. say, mentally, and maybe some physically too, but he was saying mostly mentally, started ranting at his box, started complaining about Djokovic, uh, his physical wobbliness and histrionics, I think it's probably fair to call it in terms of his physical behavior, um, acting, faking or not, whatever, that's for that's between him and the Lord. <laughs> but uh, yes, I, I think it's clear to say that that match really, really got hot and then completely fizzled 
so suddenly. I mean, yeah. the first two sets took like two and a half hours. Yeah. And I was saying like, well, they split sets were clearly going to be here for four hours. And actually, no, they took like three the, and a half. They took like the most immediate exit route yeah. <laughs> from that match they possibly could have without a retirement. So, Courtney, what do you make of? Let's start with Djokovic and then go to Andy Murray. What does this performance mean for each of them going forward? I mean, I think with Djokovic again, he is who we thought he was. Number one, he is the number one. He owns Melbourne. Yeah, he's the best hard court player in the game currently. Um, it's shocking. By the way, he's won five here and only one in New York. That that's doesn't, true. That doesn't compute for me. I don't that's get true. that. That's a good point. It, it, yeah, it is weird. I mean, you know, and he did what he what we expect for him to do. I mean, I thought that there were some noticeable changes in his game. Uh, the second serve was tremendous throughout the tournament. Really bailed him out, I thought, against Andy Murray in the final. Um, you know, but again, resilience, the forehand's great. The backhand, the defense is incredible. Best defense, I think, in the game Past Rafa. Yeah. I mean, it's it's incredible. I mean, at least on hard courts. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think in a lot of ways, we kind of were just, I don't know. It was Djokovic reaffirmed, which is fine. He's um, he lived up to his seating. I mean, he's yeah. number one. He played very, very well against Murray. He The match against Favrinka was a complete mess. I mean, that we can get into later. Terrible. But it was terrible. It was, they both, they sort of brought up the worst in each other. And Djokovic was lucky. I mean, I'm sure he would have raised his game if, they kept sort of lowering each other's levels. Djokovic was good enough to win and got through, and that's all that matters, but no style points. From what had been a very clean tournament for him before yeah, that, incredibly his first clean, five matches clean. were great. Like 52 or 53 straight holds. Yeah, only only broken once in first five matches. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it was an, all, all in all, an incredible result for Novak Djokovic. I think that, you know, getting into the final and kind of his physical issues there. I mean, I was telling Ben this before because we were kind of talking about it. And the thing is, is like, it totally makes sense that you're not 100% like feeling great throughout a match. And obviously, especially through a incredibly physical first set and second set. Mm -hmm. So that is normal. I would expect that from anybody that you're going to go through lulls in a match. Mm -hmm. But I think that what was so weird about it is like, no one does what Novak does with, like, that drunken Djokovic thing. It's so strange. It's really, like, over the top, and it's like he's he's collapsing in on himself. He's His legs are buckling. All of a sudden, he's off balance. It's, like, super weird. Like, I just... No I don't one does that. Yeah, I, I don't... I don't... I personally don't think that he was faking or doing any of that, but I do think there was a little bit of an exaggerated... Uh, gimpiness okay. to it. You know what I mean? Like sure. I, I was kind of like, okay, you're tired. Like that's understandable. He never did. He never, as far as I recall, looked like that in that six hour match against Rafa. Nope. I don't remember where that he's either. like, I mean, he, and he looked fatigued in that match at times, but he never looked like this. And I, I just found it to be very, very odd. And I think Annie Murray made a really good point because Murray came into press and said, look, I got distracted. I'm better than that. I shouldn't have. I totally let it get to me, and that's that's on me. He and people tried to bait him into, you know, uh, gamesmanship questions with respect to Novak. He didn't bite. He was like, "I don't know what's going on." That's but like, I don't know. But like, I just know what I saw. And one of the good points that he made, because a lot of people are like, "Oh, Andy Murray, like you need to be better than that and ignore it," is that one of the weird things about the Australian Open is they show all this shit up on the the yeah, the, the screens the, are the big very screen. prominent. Yeah. So like Andy was saying, he's like. 
even if I wanted to ignore it. It's impossible to ignore when up on the screen they're showing those slow-mo replays of Novak flopping around and looking yeah. incredible, you know, extremely injured and, uh, you know, gimpy and all that sort of stuff. He's like, how am I supposed to ignore it? Like, really? Now, the argument is, well, don't freaking look at it, Andy Murray, and, like, refocus and et cetera, which are all legitimate points. And Andy would agree with that. I think that he came in and he said, look, I played a great match. I just, I let it get to me, and that's on me. And I've played enough tournaments, and I've played enough matches to not let it get to me. So I, I, I appreciated that Andy Murray kind of owned up to it. No, he totally did. And I think that's what I, my sort of verdict was. Like, I said, it almost doesn't matter whether or not Djokovic was faking on right. some level to assess the match. I just think that it's on Murray for letting it get to him no matter what. And he's the one who collapsed. Yeah. He's the one whose level disappeared. Yeah. And that was disappointing because that had been a great final. He looked so fit through those two sets. And like Yeah, it didn't even look like I don't think I didn't see any physical real fatigue either. I just saw I just saw him mentally check out. He started after yeah. being very quiet, he started shouting at his box with that great, great t shirt in it, which we'll get to later. Um Bless. But he just let himself down here. And it's it's unfortunate that it happened in a Grand Slam final. Because we really haven't had a Grand Slam final like, quite like that. It was, it was one where it was very just unsatisfying ending. Yeah. Because you feel like Novak was the better player. That's fine. But didn't win all because of that. He won because his opponent just imploded. Yeah, it was, it was really frustrating. It's almost like you wish that the men's and women's finals were flipped. Yeah. Because had Serena and Maria been the coda on the entire tournament, I think that, honestly, I would feel a little bit more satisfied than the way that I felt at the end of that because, like, I was live-blogging the match and literally the last, like, 45 minutes, you saw, you knew what was happening. Yeah, it was over. It was over. It was done. It was done the minute that Novak kind of got that break and Andy Murray didn't get that, um, that break point where he, you know, on that drop volley from Novak, which was amazing, and Andy tracked it down but couldn't get the ball back in court. He didn't win another game. Yeah. After that, and that was at the 4-3 game. So, yeah, I mean, uh, it's just really hard for me to, like, to, like, find emotional resonance with kind of both results. Okay. You know? they're both expected. Yeah, that's I mean, this was like, ju- this, was, this, was, yeah. this was Djokovic beating Murray for the third time in an Australian Open final. This was Serena beating Maria for the 16th straight time to improve her record to 17-2. and two. It's amazing to think that Sharapova at one point actually had a winning record <laughs> with how that... Two and one, yo. Two and two one. And one. Two, 2004. Two, forever. Banner year. Um, yeah, that's, that's pretty remarkable. So on that women's final, which Maria lost to Serena 6-3, 7-6, was a pretty good match. And this is the thing that I think people forget about the... This is what I think people gloss over with the 17-2 head-to-head. Is that they've actually had a good, solid handful of competitive matches. Especially recently. Especially recently. Miami. Miami uh, was good. The Miami final two years ago was also good. Everything post-Olympics. French Open final. Yeah, French Open final was good. Even before that, they had a they great... They had a good WTA finals match, no? The in final. Istanbul was okay. It was okay. It was okay. They had a pretty good match in the fourth round of Wimbledon in 2010. It was like four, six and four. Um, oh, that was a good match. They right? played... Maria took a set off from Charleston once a few times. I mean, like, they've had... Their moments. There's been some blowouts in between, but it's not like you can't see a competitive Serena Murray match and be like, wow, we never saw that coming. Right. I mean, the, it's a bit NID, you know, never in doubt who wins, but there have been some interesting battles along the way, and Sharapova played very well in this one. Serena was still never in doubt. You never felt like the match was getting away from Serena, and 
Serena wins. And it has to be tough for Maria to play that well and to come up short again. 15 unforced errors Maria hit over two sets. I mean, I think she hit 15 unforced against Peng Shui in the fourth round and won like 6-3, 6-love. Yeah. Um, so she played incredibly well. Her first serve definitely let her down, especially in the tiebreak. Um, she needed to hit first serves. The minute that she threw on a second serve and she didn't go big, Serena was right there. And if she went big, then she risked double faulting. And in a tiebreak, that's brutal, as we saw for Andy Murray in the first set tiebreak where mm-hmm. he had a 4-2 lead and then came out and double faulted and lost yeah. that tiebreak. So, but I it's, it's very interesting to me because have, like reading, whether it's p- blog post comments to some of the things that I write on SI or uh, just kind of getting the general Twitter temperature. Temperature, yeah. People w- kind of knee jerk want to react and say, this is not a rivalry. It's 16 straight matches. It's over a decade. Serena owns her. Serena will always own her. Fair enough. Those, all that may or may not be true, especially the, the always owner. I think she, obviously, she's going to finish with a ridiculous winning record over Maria. But what's not compelling about a player who, yeah, has, is one of the, major contemporary players, the most recognizable like female sports star in the world in Maria Sharapova, arguably the most successful if you look at money numbers. And what's not compelling about watching this person try and solve this woman who flat out is a better tennis player than she is? Yeah. Like that's the thing. It's kind of like like everybody like rips on Maria for being like, oh, you're shit, like whatever, like you can't beat Serena. It's like, but isn't ripping on Maria for those reasons kind of like not recognizing how good Serena is. Serena's a better player. Serena's She's a better player. She does everything better. She is a 19-time Grand Slam champion. That's, yeah. an, that's an absurd number. Maria is a five-time champ. Number two by a good distance. There's no one who's really else in the running for that conversation. No one's got three. Nope. Um, well, no, I mean, in terms of active no, slam winners. No, that's what winners. I mean. Yeah. Well, Venus is well, uh, Venus, seven. Sorry, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But in terms, of, but I mean, I just meant in terms of current rankings. Yeah, like yeah. she's clearly the second best player in the world right now. She made it after this ever the weird Panova scare early on. Uh, was great in this tournament, and she just has players better than her. And Patrick Mortoglu said as much after the thing. Like, how do you explain this? He's like, Serena's a better player. I mean, yeah, it comes I asked down Martina Navratilova the same yeah. thing. She said the same. She's like, Serena's a better player. Yeah. So like, what exactly are we talking about when we like, when people like undermine or rip or like whatever like make fun of Sharapova it's like dude she's losing to a player she should lose to and it's still fascinating the because the matches feel so high stakes between them yeah, because yeah. of everything at play and because if and when Maria ever wins another match it will be massive yeah it will be huge especially if it's in a Grand Slam final or something they are the tension they bring the clear animus I wouldn't say animus. The clear lack of apathy they have towards each other. Let's put it that way. There are feelings there on that court. There are feelings. You saw it in the final. I mean, the come oning, the intensity. It was great. It was wonderful. It's great. So even even people can say it's not a rivalry. It is. It 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 it, it, yeah. It's not a rivalry in fact that it's like neck and neck. But it's two people who those matchups matter. That is their primary enemy quote-unquote in the sport their nemesis mm-hmm. you know that's what they get most up for it's a rivalry so it's yeah. always a compelling watch even if serena's beating her down six love six one at the olympics olympics it's is fascinating incredibly compelling yeah so it is the most compelling whatever you want to call it matchup rivalry no. duo like whatever it's in high the women's game. it's like i mean as much as like ivanovich sharapova let's say is more even and there's some bad blood brewing there now 
Like, that's not as high stakes as Serena mm-hmm. Maria whatsoever. Or Serena Caroline. Yep. Or even Serena Vika. Or Serena Venus there's, right now. Yeah, there's no, there's no matchup in the women's game that is as, everybody put your notebooks down, let's watch how this plays out, as that. Which is, I think, a credit to both of them, considering how lopsided yeah. it is. You know so. what I mean? Like, I mean, that's a credit to both of their statures within the game as global icons. Um, I don't know. I, it was great. That final was, was tremendous, and... You know, I, I tip my cap to Maria for getting it that close. So we talked about what win means to Novak. I mean, in terms of, obviously, he's great. He's, he is who we thought it was. About Serena, her winning number 19 now, her winning her sixth Australian Open back-to-back slams now. She has uh, a shot, I think a good shot. Both she and Novak actually have great shots to pull off an Aussie-French double this year, which mm-hmm. no one's done in quite a while. In terms of just Serena, though, does this another notch does it change where she sits in history? Does it change where she is in the greatest of all time debate? Does it change for you what she means to the sport on any meaningful level? The one stat that the new stat that I like from this tournament is that she has now won each of the four slams a decade apart. She won Australia first time oh three, now in twenty fifteen. Wimbledon first time in oh two, then later in twenty twelve. Uh French in oh two, later in twenty thirteen, and US Open ninety nine to twenty fourteen. Yep. Pretty cool. Pretty amazing. I mean, I think that that's the thing. I don't really think that there's a difference between 18 and 19. No, no that's the, you know, the, the increment by percent is tiny. Yeah, it's tiny. I mean, 18 felt more massive than 19. And then obviously now we're going to be talking about the chase for Steffi for 22, um, which is very real. But what is what was my big takeaway and for me the big story coming out of the Australian Open for the women is here's Serena Williams, 33 years old. That stat that Ben mentioned, ten, a decade apart on every single slam. Her contemporaries, Amelie Moresmo, Lindsay Davenport, are making impacts on the coaching end. They've been retired for a good amount of time now. So there's that. She beats three of the rising young stars in Alina Svitolina, Garbine Muguruza, and Madison Keys. Yeah. All who are like 20 and below. All good matches. All too. great matches. And she beats her contemporary and con- primary rival, Maria Sharapova, for a 16th straight time. Like, and she's, I mean, she's 33, she's number one, she's dominant, she's like number one with an, with a, with a, with a bullet. It's just absolutely incredible. And I think that it's one of those stories in sports. I mean, everybody talks about Serena and Venus being one of the greatest stories in sports, right? But just Serena doing what she's done in tennis for as long as she has against the type of, the levels of opposition that she's had to face, I... I mean, I'm speechless. I mean, it, it's 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 well and truly amazing, I think. I really completely agree. And I think that as she gets to the sort of scoreboard phase of her career, and this really did feel like at 19, you're just kind of running up the score. Yeah. And I do think that, I do think she's in a tougher era than Steffi. And I think her best yeah. is better than Steffi's best. So I don't think the numbers are everything, especially because the numbers sell short in Avertolov and Everett, who, used, who played an era where players didn't play every slam. People yeah. skipped Australia regularly. People skipped the French. French because it was during world team tennis and yeah. just like it was a pretty lower tier tournament in terms of prize money. Look at some of those 70s, 80s French Open women's draws and there you never heard of anybody in there. So that I don't think it's always apples to apples with that, which makes me think that it's their arguments for Serena being goat goat already on the women's side. And that's totally fair. It's a barroom thing with her and Steffi and It just depends Navratilova on what you, it just, just depends on what you value. Exactly. Right? Because that's the thing it's like okay, difficulty in era and dominance of your era, et cetera, et cetera. There's also just the fact that, like, I mean, Martina's numbers yeah. are insane. 
like between doubles and singles and WTA titles as yeah. well. I mean, that's the big knock against Serena on the GOAT uh, argument. Is For most of her career, choked, she wasn't winning yeah, elsewhere. Yeah, you, cho- you, you, you checked out outside of the majors. So what do we, you know, and, and again, so that becomes like, what do you value? You know, I mean, you have more data points for Martina, arguably, than you have for Serena. Because Martina wasn't there every single time. Now, then you start talking about, like, weakness in era and et cetera, et cetera. That begins to level. But, I mean, I think there's no doubt that in terms of pure level of tennis, no one has ever played the sport. Serena's best is better than everybody else's best. She beat everybody else. Maybe peak Pierce on a good day. (laughs) (laughs) And, of course, Alize Cornet. Of course. Obviously. I was going to say, actually, we were talking about Djokovic. That's sort of stumbling. The only other person who does things like that is Yeah, it is is Cornet. Cornet. It is Cornetian. It is. It is Cornetian. Yeah. Yeah. Which is not a great comparison. But, yeah, Serena did have a very, very good tournament. Just looking back at her individual tournament... The match against Muguruza was unbelievable. That was like my favorite match of the tournament, probably. That match was so high quality. Muguruza is so legit. She can totally win a slam yep. this year and next. Completely believe that wholeheartedly. She's real deal. Yeah. We'll get to Madison Keys later, but that was the main takeaway from yeah. the middle of the tournament was Muguruza, super money. legit. Super money. legit. Money, money. So we, got, we talked a little bit about the contentious end to the men's tournament, but all in all... It was a fairly un- disharmonizing event for the men. It seemed like not everything is super happy in ATP land right now. It's funny. Someone tweeted. I, I think it was. I'm not going to guess. It was someone tweeted, and you know who you are. Um, but the side by side photos you did from the selfies. It's like I bet ATP photos can look a lot more like the WTA one this year. It was Ricky. There you yeah. go. So yes, what do you make of this sudden unraveling? And talk us through how it happened with Murray Burdich. Kim Sears, whatever else you want to say, because it was a lot of stuff that happened that made it seem like there was some, uh, you know, poison in the well situation. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that it's sudden. That's the thing. I mean, I think that it it came to fore because of the high-profile, high-stress matches that, you know, uh, Burdick played against Murray and Murray against Djokovic. But for the most part, I mean, if you talk to enough people, uh, you do get the sense that... um, Burdick is not particularly well-liked in the locker room. Mm-hmm. Um, that his cohorts are not as charmed by his juvenile Twitter account as fans. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that that was evident. I think that you saw that with Rafa, too, once he lost to Burdick. And people are like, do you think that Burdick can go on to win? Normally, if I recall, Rafa's pretty like, yeah, sure. Like, you know, like with people generally. And with Burdick, he was like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> not gonna happen so I thought that was curious and then obviously it it was massively on display um in the semifinal against Murray and I think that Kim Sears which was such a stupid controversy honestly but like her getting caught saying what she said um dropping a few f-bombs dropping a few f-bombs and making it very clear that that she had no problem dropping f-bombs about Burdick um that is almost kind of similar to like the Mirka crybaby crybaby situation where it's like clearly there are conversations between Roger and Mirka or in this case Andy and Kim about how he feels about the person across the net like you know what I mean and so she knows that and she knows that there's there's a bit of, of animosity not animosity I mean they respect each other's games I don't doubt that at all but there isn't like a 
a broship. Especially there's no there's no bromance and there's no especially with the Danny Valverde thing, yeah. which from what I heard was not at all media created. That's one of my favorite Andy It's so stupid from Andy to blame the media for that. No, Andy, that's completely legitimate, completely real lingering beef there. Yeah, no, the whole thing is absolutely right. And I do think it reflects in part, I think, on the, what the top of the game looks like now with Djokovic. I don't think Djokovic is the uniter that mm. Federer was as a number one. I don't think that he's, you know, and even Rafa, I think, is sort of more of a peacekeeper. But I think with Djokovic, I think the natives can get a little restless underneath them. And it, it just seems, I'm not sure, he's not like president. It's not like he gets blamed for yeah, what the yeah. economy does when he's, it's his term or whatever. But it seems to me like just sort of the tone of the tour right now is less gentlemanly or whatever yeah. than it used to be. And I want to be clear, this is not a bad thing. No, this is awesome. This is mostly a great thing. Uh, to have these guys have their real competitive fire not be hidden and obfuscated. I mean, these are competitors who shouldn't like each other. Yeah. Why should they like each other? No. no I mean, that, that's the thing. I mean, during the men's final and then also during, like, Burdick and Murray, I was getting tons of messages from players and coaches and people within tennis, like, people who are in the locker rooms who are currently either playing or coaching or physioing or, like, whatever, uh-huh. of people just being like... Like, I had tons of, like, from people who were, like, rolling their eyes about Djokovic and his physicality and what was going on there and thinking that it was gamesmanship. Yep. Now, I genuinely don't think that it was, but it's, again, it speaks volumes about how that person is perceived in the locker room. You know, like, it, it became very clear to me just based off of what everybody was telling me and the reaction that I was seeing that that he hasn't earned the benefit of the doubt. Perception matters more than reality. Yeah, exactly. So so there was that. And maybe Novak realizes that now, and maybe that explains kind of... He's been a bit more serious and kind of overdoing press conferences. And, you know, I don't know, maybe... But he also seems less needing to please yeah. on some level. He, especially on court. I mean, you saw the whole... We talked about this during the World Tour final with the dot and everything, yeah. with signing the camera, just the dot and... Generally, and, and during the trophy ceremony, the trophy ceremony we didn't talk about, the trophy ceremony in the men's was telling. Yeah. Because he was, they were just like both like stone-faced during the Kia speech, which is great, as always. Always. Always the highlight of the tournament. <laughs> um, and during Murray's speech, he was just sort of, you know, there. And then he made some remark to Murray, which seemed so out of left field and just sort of contrived about like, well, I hope you have a great wedding and have, you know. Lots of babies. Lots of babies and kids. And the camera was showing Murray the whole time, and Murray did not, no, his lips flinch. did not twitch into a smile. Yeah. It was pretty remarkable, because who glares at being wished a happy marriage and family? Yeah. It was tremendous. And that shows, I think there is real, and yeah, I was talking to tour staff, everybody was like, wow, like that was Things that have was changed something. after things this. Have changed. There, things Between have changed. Between those two. And, There's no and doubt maybe about that. The, and the tour in general, because if it's consecutive matches... Who knows? Yeah. I mean, this is a new era, and it's uh, it's a little more rough around the edges, but I think ultimately it's more honest on some level. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, I think that that's a big thing that we've wanted is just honesty. I mean, these guys can sit behind the mic and, and, and play ambassador all they want, but that if that's not actually how they feel, then it does, it's a bit of a disservice. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, 
It's like, just say it. It's okay. I mean, obviously nowadays there's so much money in it. Just, I mean, the Roger, yeah. the Roger Federization of things, like it, it pays to be seen as a gentleman. Yeah. Um, but the bottom line is when you're out there on that court, and it's one of the things that I love about tennis, is that there is no veneer of anything. Exclusive that is character. Yeah. It, it is, it, it does reveal a lot, you know, whether... You know, you're, you're, you know, like a Tim Smichek situation, you know, like him conceding that point to Rafa. It, that speaks volumes about him as a person in the heat of the moment doing that. Um, and Do you think that, to, to, I was going to bring that up later, but sure. now, now that we hit it, do you think that was overblown? Do you think it was right for that to be as trumpeted up as it was? And because Rafa was raving about yeah, it. Yeah. The next day, Djokovic the same. Benito, who's Rafa's PR manager, was saying that Smichek deserves a sportsmanship award for the next 10 years. I mean, these were, people were going way, I don't want to say overboard, because that sort of passed the judgment, but people were going huge on this. Do you think it was that big a thing? I didn't think it was that big of a thing, yeah. I'll be honest. I, I was like, you know, the match was pretty much almost done. It was like a 30 love point, right? Or something. I mean, I didn't think it was that big of a deal. I still, I mean, that's not to belittle it. I mean, I thought it was a great gesture from Smechak. And a lot of people definitely would not have done it. A lot of people would not have done it. And that's great and all. But again, I like my tennis with spit, with fire. And I like that, like, you know, Novak touches the net on a point that he very clearly and obviously would have won. And Rafa's like, he touched the net, he touched the net. Like, it's like, that seems a bit dick. Like, you lost the point. You know you lost the point. You're, like, trying to claim it on a technicality. But, like, whatever. I, I, I like it. Yeah. So let's go to Rafa now, because I was going to go to Rafa mm-hmm. when talking about all that. Rafa's, Rafa, to flashback to Smechek, Smechek was up 5-4 in the 5th on Rafa. and had been a up, game away. And had been up two sets to one. Smechek, who was ranked 112, was a game away from beating Rafa Nadal. This was a bizarre, <laughs> bizarre tournament for Rafael Nadal. And with all due respect to Smechek and Burdett, who eventually killed him in the quarterfinals, we went in there with a lot of question marks at Rafa, but we also said, very correctly, I must say of us, that there was his draw was going to allow him to be bad and survive. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened against Smechek. Yeah. And he was ill or just not feeling right with the humidity or something. Although it wasn't clear what was going was on there cool at all. Night, it was bizarre. Yeah. Um, yeah. What do you make of where this leaves Rafa? He was going to be down to number four now. No, number three. 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 Close to Murray at number four. Murray's back in Murray the top four. Murray could have eclipsed him. Right, if he'd won if the title. Won. That's right. Um, so what do you make of where this leaves Rafa coming up, uh, going into this part of the season with even just ranking number three, his ranking points very low right now, around 6,000, which is pretty low for him. I think he's fine. I'm not really worried about Rafa at all. I think that, you know, see, I think we saw all of Rafa, like, you know, the ups and the downs of where he is right now, but I I, I do 1,000% um, like agree with him. He needs matches. He needs to get back to match fit. That's the only way to build confidence, and with confidence he will play the right way, which is aggressively inside the baseline, hitting his forehand super big. All of that just takes time, and and uh, you can't expect for anyone, including Rafa, to what was it? He only played se- like seven seven matches. No, seven matches since Wimbledon, something or, like that, or yeah. since the French, one of the two, um, to go and march in and like win things. I mean, Rafa's an amazing champion, but like no. So to me, I think that the upcoming kind of like golden swing, if he goes out, when he goes out to South America, will be somewhat telling. I think if he wins a title down there, he'll 
kind of be back on track-ish. It'll settle him down. Yeah, it'll settle him down. Then he goes into Indian Wells and Miami. He's done well in Indian Wells. Indian Wells, not so much Miami. Yeah. But, like, yeah, like, and he goes and plays those tournaments, and whatever happens, I mean, so long as he makes quarterfinals or semis, those are successful tournaments, in my opinion, for him there. Um, And then from there, he hops back on to clay. So I'm not going to panic until I see what the result is at the French. Okay. That's my take. There you go. That's... Fair, fair take. Um, yeah, he will start need to start winning matches to get his ranking, keep it where it is, because in terms of just last six months, he's done but nearly he nothing. T- but he also he, made quarters here somehow, which he is can, pretty remarkable. He can pick up points in the clay swing, yeah, though, he given, can. like, he, you know, we forget that even though he won the French, he had a shitty clay season Overall, last year. yeah, I mean, he, so, still, he still made finals in Rome and won Madrid, but... Fair he, enough, but Monte Carlo. Monte Carlo, Barcelona. Barcelona. Yeah, he has room for improvement. Yeah. So if he gets back to his old dominant self, he'll... He'll spike quite a bit. Um, the other big four guy we haven't really talked about is Roger Federer, who had a a serious sad trombone of a, of a Australian Open losing in the third round to Andreas Seppi. Uh, this was people had high hopes for Roger at this tournament. He had won Brisbane. He was playing great, playing great in his first two matches too, and then just one of those sort of seemingly classic Federer, just older player, bad days against the opponent doesn't usually trouble him. Never lost to Seppi before in 10 previous meetings, and Seppi played great and beat him in four sets, and Roger was out. And Roger, any hopes Roger had at getting the number one ranking anytime soon are now gone uh, with Djokovic winning the title and him going out early. Uh, Djokovic is number one for a while now. He's it's like very a 3,000-point swing. He's very safe. Yeah, yeah. Very, very safe. What do you make of what, how this sets up Roger's year? It's not can't be a confidence boosting tournament at all. It's not a confidence booster at the slams, but I mean, this is again like they are who we thought they were. And for me, with Roger, it's he's the guy who absolutely can tear through a draw at a Masters tournament, at a top tournament. I mean, in Brisbane, he beat what Raonic, Dimitrov. Yeah. Um. You know. I mean, and and really, I mean, threw down. Killed Dimitrov. It killed Dimitrov, which we should talk about Dimitrov later, but um. Yeah, I mean, he he can do all that, so that's great. But at the majors, I just think that, like, he can't, I just... Best of five is an issue, Best of five is, I think, a massive issue. Um, and, and to, I mean, Roger did say before the Australian Open that he was feeling fatigued, that, that he really, during the offseason, instead of taking the time off, because he felt like he had won so many matches and so never got to practice, which... Such a humble brag. Yeah. Um, I don't even know if there's any humility in that. No, no, no. That's true. Uh, but that, so he hit the practice courts really hard in the off season. So he said effectively that he was trying to manage his energy um, in Melbourne. And just a very curious, poor match from him against Seppi. Just even just mentally, some of those leaves, you know, like when he was at the, the net and he let, like the, I think it was set point in the third for Seppi. And then obviously the match point where he left it and it went in. Um, yeah, it's it was surprising. Mental errors you don't usually see from him. Let's go to Dimitrov. Well, that's basically, I think, yeah. he's pretty self-explanatory. There, let's go to Dimitrov you mentioned briefly and then loop in the rest of the young guns. Mm-hmm. It was a unremarkable tournament from the main three young guns, which is Dimitrov, Ronich, Nishikori. They all lived up to their seating and all got pretty soundly beaten by big four guys in the end. And then we can also bring in Nick Swaggy Swag. So much swag, F-bombing, 
curios. Racket breaking. Racket breaking. Shaved eyebrow having. God, the, the amount of work that goes into that man's head. It's just a high maintenance head. It's a high maintenance head. What did you make of the way Kyrgios hijacked the tournament and uh, the younger generation as a whole? I mean, not that he's in that conversation. He's He's much younger than those guys. His resume is not. But he's still only won that one Mm -hmm. ATP tour event match outside the Masters, which is, I'm sorry, outside the Slams, which is remarkable. What do you make of all of that, of Generation Next? Very disappointing tournament from the three. Rana Shishikori, Dimitrov. Dimitrov, Dimitrov, I think. Dimitrov, yeah. He's falling behind the rest of that group. He is. He's stalling. And I mean, that being said, he played a great match against Andy Murray and choked it. Yeah. Um, But I mean, that was probably for me, quality to quality, front to back, the best match of the tournament for the guys. For sure, on the men's side, for sure. Um, So, I mean, they just played incredible tennis. So uh, that's definitely disappointing. I do feel like Dimitrov is stalling a little bit. Um, We'll see what happens over the course of the next few months. Um, Nisha Corey, I mean, obviously against Stan, that's tough, but he really didn't bring it. I thought that he played below his level, um, drop shot notwithstanding, but he just played below his level. Um, Raonic getting absolutely schooled by Djokovic was just, again, it was like he was tearing. I mean, with Raonic, he's the guy who beats the guys that he's supposed to beat, and he loses to the guys he's supposed to lose to. So he's just like right there. His results are so predictable. Yeah. Like he is absolutely chalk in both directions, and it's a great thing to have for the most part. Yeah. I mean, if you can beat everybody who's below you and routinely, which he's doing, that's great. He's Ferrer. He's Ferrer. Well, Ferrer. I mean, the one person I know who had this set for a long time is Kornikova. Didn't lose to anybody below her mm. for, I think, like two years, mm. which is why she got to be number eight without winning anything big. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Ronich is getting close to that. Not that he's winning titles sometimes, obviously, but he is not getting closer to the top. But he is putting himself in a position to very easily be like a chillage, where if something falls yeah. apart in a draw, he can very easily be the one yeah. left standing. So there's worse situations to put for yourself sure. in that. Um, and his Brisbane one was, run was great. The Federer final he played was great. He was he great played, against He Nishikori. played well in Melbourne. He just yeah. got picked apart by Novak. Exactly. Which, again, can you really rip on somebody for getting picked apart by Novak? I mean, yeah. Novak is... That's why Novak's Novak. He's won five times. Yeah, so. exactly. Yeah. There's no disgrace in losing to him, as Andy Murray said. Um, but uh, turning to Nick Kyrgios, I mean... <laughs> You're shaking your head. No, no, no. Yeah. I mean, when you look at the future of the ATP, and you start thinking about questions of ticket sales... Questions of fan buzz, uh, questions of of charisma. Charisma. He's the guy. He's the guy. And the fact that we're turning to this kid who's won one ATP match in his career made obviously two slam quarterfinals, which good on him beating Rafa at one. His draw was easy here, though. Yeah, this draw was easy here, and he struggled. Yeah, he very easily could have got out in the first round. Um, so I have. Great hopes for Nick Kyrgios. I want him to be the guy that we think that he will be. But there are not enough data points. I think his body's soft. I think that he's soft. I mean, not like, I mean, he's a competitor, and and the way that he beat Seppi in five was, like, massive. But, like, on an outer court, what do you do, Nick? You don't always have 10,000 people at High Sense Arena cheering for you. No. So, and he's a guy who plays on adrenaline. And if he can't get that adrenaline going, he's very, very flat. So... When I look to the future, though, I, I see Kyrgios. I see him as being the guy. It's not going to be... Not to say that, like, Raonic, Nishikori, and Dimitrov won't win slams. I mean, the numbers kind of tell you when the big four, big five are gone that they somebody's got to win them. 
Um, but when you when you look at somebody who's incredibly marketable and can be kind of the face of the new ATP in a lot of ways, I think it's Curios. No, no, Curios is polarizing, hugely yeah. polarizing. Which is awesome. Which is great. People care about him. When people have strong opinions on Curios, mm-hmm. and that's huge. Um, I do agree with you. I do think his work ethic is not great. I mean, yeah. it just doesn't seem like he's in great physical shape. Like, he's, like, tall and lanky, so you assume that he's in shape, but, like, when you actually look at him, you're like, no. Yeah. Like, I mean, but at the same time, he's 19 years old. I mean, his body's going to just get, get stronger. He'll get better. But, yeah. yeah, but the whole, in terms of intangibles, it's unbelievable how soft the Aussie press was on him here. His press conferences were a joke. The questions he was getting were all so... I'm trying to think of kiss a little... Kiss-ass. Kiss-ass. I was going to go ball-tonguing, but, yeah, those are... <laughs> Similar neighborhood behavior. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, no, he's he gets such soft treatment, and that's not going to last, especially when he gets into, like, Britain or something. People are going to go at him, and he is possibly, I don't know how he'll deal with that, because yeah. he seems like a very emotional, very not, not, not a steady kid. Very up and down, yeah. sensitive for sure. We'll see. Um, I mean, this is a kid at 18 years old got pissed at his mom, who said that, like, he was probably going to lose to Rafa. Yeah. And like called his mom out, like seriously, he wasn't. He didn't even do it sarcastically, like in a Madison Keys kind of way. Like he was like a bit prickly about it. Yeah. I'm like, geez, what's your deal, dude? Uh, to go to the other one briefly, because they're always paired together with good reason. Kokinakis, uh, love people. Everyone people are divided on Karyos. People are unanimous on Kokinakis. Yeah. People love love the cock. Yeah, <laughs> they do. They can't get enough. Who doesn't? But, yeah, no, I, I was so impressed by his poise beating Golbus in five. You know, he had a tough draw. I mean, no one wants to go up against Sam Groff. That's just a rough one. Um, yeah. That's super, super rough. But he's just, he's solid off both. You know, like, Nick has the flash. No. Kokonakis is, like, the guy that you're, like, you're cut from the same cloth as, like, the guys who are successful now. Yeah. You know? Um, and he's, like, a really nice kid. Um, much more humble. Much more humble. Much more insecure. Also as well, there are moments where he kind of has this Andy Murray, like, forlorn look on his face, and he has kind of a baby face, so you're just like, oh, it'll, it'll be okay, don't worry. Um, whereas Nick kind of has that swagger, and... and Nick is not sympathetic, yeah. No, I mean, you don't think that he's 19. No. That's the thing about Kyrgios. Whereas just for good and bad. Yeah, yeah. Whereas, Co- but yeah, Kokonakis, I think, is, is legit. And you talked to Golbus, right, after he lost to Kokonakis? Uh-huh. So what did he say about him? He just said he was a good dude. I mean, he was, I'd known him a little bit from being around the tour, and just, like, he knows that, like, this guy, and this is all stupid Skip Bayless nonsense, but it's, like, made of the right stuff, and yeah. it's, you know, has the intangibles it takes to be a good player. And he wasn't sure about his weapons or whatever, and so he says a lot of areas to improve, because Golbus, being Golbus, was honest and not going to, you know... Yeah just spew sunshine about the guy, especially just after he lost to him and was pissed at himself because it wasn't a great match for the no, at all. No, he should not. And if he's, he never, gets through, he's never good enough. If he gets through this. that match, I mean, he had a really good shot at the quarters. Yeah. That was a soft draw. So, but yeah. So there you go. That is, um, and yeah, and Tomic was also in that section. Tomic made fourth round out of that section. Let's go briefly, just before we get, we'll finish the men here pretty much, unless you have anything else. But mm. the scheduling this mm-hmm. tournament got a lot of attention. Um, Tomic, I mentioned, made fourth round and never played once on Rod Laver compared to 2012, the first time I came to this tournament, and he made the fourth round also and played all four matches on Laver. Uh, Kyrgios didn't pl- make it onto Laver until the quarters. Uh, no other Aussie men except for Sam Groth, no, sorry, except for Leighton Hewitt, 
made it onto labor at any point during the tournament, and a few of them had decent runs. I mean, Groth made mm-hmm. third round, mm-hmm. other stuff like that. Um, meanwhile, Stozer played every match on labor, which was fine. Ila Tomjanovic. Ila Tomjanovic played a night session labor match against Shelby Rogers. There was other weird stuff going on on labor, including Ila Tomjanovic got that placement, and Serena had to play out on MCA. Yeah. Night session. So that couldn't that have confusing. gone down well. No. And also, uh, there was a Rod Laver match in the third round between Lucy Radechka and Julia Gerges, which is an unseated against a qualifier. What the hell? And at the same time... That was Pliskova-Makarova. At the same time, Pliskova-Makarova... Makarova's played great here. Pliskova's been a huge... The story of 2015 for January on the women's side, she had a great, great start to the year. It seemed to me like a very, very obvious ploy by the Craig Tiley, whoever... Tennis Australia, to try to sell as many different kinds of tickets as possible by really spreading out the good matches. and like Because like, we like should make it clear Azarenka that... Azarenka was on the yeah, court. Because before this year, Hisense Arena was the second ticketed court. Margaret Court Arena was uh, general admission. Yeah. Now, with the roof and all of the renovations to Margaret Court that Arena, flipped. it's flipped. MCA is now a ticketed court, which means that they have to deliver. Like, right? You can't just like th- throw whatever matches on there. Yeah. And then Hisense becomes like the basically what they turned it into, which is like the Aussie arena in order to get people in because Hisense Arena is terrible. It's not a good arena. And I got to say, the ambiance of Market Court, I don't know if you made it out there. I did. It was not great. No. It was never full. Even for like Wozniacki, Azarenka, the vibe in there was just, it was empty. They didn't sell it out. It was not great. And it was, uh, it, the roof is impressive, but the atmosphere of the tournament definitely took a hit this year. Yeah. I think. I mean, now it was for like the Aussie matches on Hisense, that's fine. It's a bigger arena, so it packs in more people, but... It was a weird trade-off, and I think some of the stuff they did with the scheduling is really not defensible. I think you should have your best matches yep. on labor, period. Radechka Gerges, all due respect, that is crap. That, that barely is, is like a court 16 match. Yeah. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. And how do you get away with putting that match on Rod Laver Arena when people bought tickets for Rod Laver Arena? Expecting that is best, a yeah. single, like, that is a match that they've paid for, yeah. which is a match that people would stroll past if it yeah. was on an outer court. It's so, the most expensive ticket. Yeah. They deserve the best matches. And also, I understand they also did a lot of focusing on um, on later night sessions had more, all the Aussies and guys played all late all the time, which I totally get for TV. But at the same time, American TV kicks in at 7 p.m. Eastern time in prime time uh, for the U.S. And putting Rodechka Gerges in that first slot is yeah. a little contemptuous to your American buddies. Yeah. Also, I guess Tennis Channel might have that slot, so maybe it goes lower. Yeah, it, it, ESPN comes in a bit later. Right, but, but still. Anyway, that was crap. I just thought we should mention that because it was a big sort of running story and for the Tomic, first 10 Tomic days. And Tomic was not happy about it. Tomic was not happy about and it And Kyrgios said all the right things, but Kyrgios never came out and said... No, no, no. I I asked. Yeah, and there was some talk that like Pat Rafter said it was good for them to earn their spot on labor or whatever. It's such bullshit. I'm sorry. Like yeah. you shouldn't be using court assignments as a way to punish or incentivize. Like if that Nick Kyrgios is the Aussie number one. Sorry, Leighton, but Nick Kyrgios is the Aussie number one, and he didn't get onto labor until the quarterfinals. Speaking of Kyrgios, of of Leighton Hewitt. And scheduling, <laughs> what do you make of that Dumb. semifinal, of that uh, press conference? Explain what happened there, because people might not. It was, it was something that really m- was more evident if you were on site yeah. for what happened. So, so during the semifinal, women's semifinal between Serena Williams and Madison Keys, which was a great match. Great match. And midway through it, 
Tennis Australia calls a press conference for with Pat Rafter and Leighton Hewitt about Davis Cup stuff and Pat Rafter stepping down from Davis Cup and Wally Leighton Masseur taking over for right Wally Masseur taking over temporarily. Leighton Hewitt will play a full year and then twenty sixteen Australian Open will be his final tournament and then he'll take over Davis Cup captain. And it was like really the world number one is playing a fantastic match right now, and you're gonna a call a semifinal. yeah you're gonna call a press conference like. That is disrespectful, and I and I totally agree with what John Wertheim wrote in his fifty parting shots about this because I agree with John. I think the whole Jeannie Bouchard troll gate was like blown out of proportion. I don't think it was that big of a deal, but um, if you want to talk about and focus in on something that was actually sexist, there you go. Yeah, is calling a press conference about Davis Cup while the women's semifinals are going on, and mind you, this wasn't a throwaway semifinal. This was the world number one an 18-time Slam champion, and five-time Australian Open champion playing. Like, you don't do that. No. You don't don't do it. So with that, let's shift our attention to the ladies. Mm. Madison Keys was in that semifinal. Courtney, we obviously, you said, you put her in the beginning category of she is who we thought she was. It's totally true. She'd had the hype for a long time, but, and she is the third, I love this stat, she is the third 19-year-old in a row to make the semifinals of Australian Open after Jeannie Bouchard last year and Sloane Stevens the year before. So we're used to breakout players at this tournament. Um, but what did you make of how she did it in particular and how it sets her up for short run and long run, what she proved here, and Lindsay Davenport coaching, whatever else you want to go off on this with. I talk, mean, tell me, talk to me about Let's talk about Miss Keys. Miss Keys, if you're nasty. The one player that I will say over the course of the two weeks here that maybe doesn't fall into the we are who they thought they were is Madison. Okay. I think because she surprised me. She's the only person that surprised me. I mean, even you talk about Madison Bringle, but like she beat a Pekovic who hadn't won a match and was slumping. And then she beats Arena Falcone. That was not right. That was easy. And then... Coco. Coco, which... Coco's not a proven slam. Yeah, exactly. And then plays Madison and gets her butt whipped. So even though it was a breakout run for Madison Bringle, it's not like I learned anything new about Madison Bringle. I mean, aside from stuff that she told us about skin (laughs) cancer and wine and scandal and whatnot. Um, Whereas with Madison Keys, she is one of those players that, for me, I have traveled the world watching Madison Keys matches. Like, I've watched her on outer courts. I've watched her on non-televised courts. I've watched her all over. And oftentimes, I am in there in the press conference post-win, post-loss. And so, over the course of speaking with Madison, it was always, like, really clear that, like, she benefited from the fact that she was in Sloan's shadow. Yep. You know, she won, lost. We didn't pull her in and rail on her. And let's be clear. She lost a lot. She lost she a lot. Had some, she, like, she had some bad losses. She had some bad losses to her name, for yeah. sure. Yeah. For sure. So, you know, but she got to kind of, like, be out of the spotlight in that way and... I always kind of wondered, though, at what point would she kind of graduate? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, for so long she was with USTA Coaching, which I always, all due respect, find to be very JV. Yeah. Like, if you want to step up, like, what USTA coach has actually coached someone to major success? Yeah, no, and every, right. that seems to be more and more Americans are realizing that yeah. people are jumping ship on that left yeah. and right. And she did it in a big, big way. We talked about when the hire happened yeah. with Lizzie Davenport, a huge move a huge uh, vote of confidence in herself yeah. and Lindsay has been so high on the kid and Lindsay's clearly done a great job yeah. and that was and their run here was phenomenal phenomenal I mean I think that just the way she played against Petra Kvitova 
like, was so impressive, especially how she stood up and she served out those matches. Petra didn't play bad. Petra didn't play bad. I mean, she didn't play her best, but she didn't play poorly. She, this wasn't a Luxica Kumkum situation. No, not at all. So, yeah, I mean, she, so Madison steps up and plays that match, but Madison Keys, you expect to lose that match against Madison Brinkle. There were that was many, a trap match. There were many of us in the room, U.S. writers, who were like, Ooh, like, how big do we go on Keys because... She might lose to Brangle, you know, and and that is would the, that would follow the pattern for her. I mean, we saw it earlier in the year uh, with her two, well, not two, but like she beat uh, Sibolkova yep. at uh, in Brisbane, and then lost to Lepchenko yeah. the next round, and then she beats Kuznetsova in Sydney, and then pulls out with a shoulder injury. But you know, I mean, like Lindsay said during that Brisbane. Run. She's like, well, I've seen all the good. I've seen all the bad. I've seen all everything that Madison Keys can do. But um, yeah, for her to win that match against Brangle, really hold her own, and then, you know, not playing her best, injured, like all that, and scrap through that match against Venus, coming back from a breakdown in that final set, that was also incredible. Breaking and then serving it out again, and then against Serena, again injured. Better than Venus. Better than against Venus physically. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. But against Serena just putting in that performance was so well I mean it made everybody sit up and notice and it was a funny thing I was telling Ben because I feel like I write about Madison a lot or at least I pay attention to her a lot she's always in the report card she's always in like whatever and but then when she made this run I kind of assumed that everybody knew who Madison Keys was yeah but so many people were like where is this kid coming from like you know and I was like really yeah, um, no, I got that too. Yeah, so it was a little bit weird. So this was genuinely and truly a breakout run for her. Coming out party for yeah. sure for her. And she handled it well. Uh, let's go to Venus brief- briefly, who made it quarters her best slam run in four years since reaching the quarter, or uh, more than that, since reaching the quarters at Wimbledon 20, or no, sorry, at the U.S. Open in 2010. Venus. Best run since being diagnosed. Yes, best sure. run, yes, best run since Shogun, so best run since 2010. U.S. Open where she made the semis and lost to Kim. And in that, she would have won the slam. She won that second set tiebreak. Mm. Rough one. What do you make of Venus coming back? She won Auckland. She played Radvanska. Beat Radvanska with a big name, with another big coach, Navratilova. There was a lot of expectation on that match. Um, Venus is now up to number 11 or 12 in the 11. ranking. 11. Wow. So fit it like your clothing yeah. line. Yeah. Uh, how did Venus's status changed this week. I think this was a big, big performance for her, for sure. It, I mean, it was great. I mean, it. Um, she showed that she could do what you expect of her, which is, like, not suffer those poor losses and um, put together back-to-back-to-back, you know, good performances. I thought the, the match against Radvanska was incredibly smart. Um, Aga didn't play her best tennis, but, you know, she's owned Venus the last three times they played each other. So yeah. um, to have the energy, I think, Pulling out of doubles was massive. So smart. So smart. I'm so happy to see that. Don't play doubles anymore, ladies. Like, go and try and win titles. If you're in singles, don't play doubles. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, I, I, I thought it was great. And um, I don't know. It was just really good to see Venus back kind of. I won't even say where she belongs because I think that she's overperforming in a lot of ways. Okay. How I mean, so? I, well, I mean, I, I, I still am surprised that she beat Caroline in the final of Auckland. Like, I think that that was a really massive win. And to me, more impressive than her win over Radvanska. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't expect her to play this well, to be quite honest. And she is. And it's great. She's got Dubai points coming off yeah. to defend. And so she and uh, Charleston, uh, I guess quarters, not that many. But so she has some points coming off to defend, though, on that. 
Middle East swing. So we'll see if that her ring likely will take some sort of a dip there. But overall, yeah, just great to have her back relevant because there was a long time when she was not that different from the Leighton Hewitt category in mm. terms of people saying, you know, this is tough to watch. Why are you still out here? You know, you're you're tarnishing your legacy. People say ridiculous things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and for her, she showed that she can still do it. And even still, she always has a lot more sort of gravitas to her and yeah. bigger picture than the Leighton. I think Leighton, I'm glad that he finally set a date because it's getting, <laughs> it's getting tedious. Especially in Australia, there's so much attention. Yeah. And he takes up night session slots. It's like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And his matches just aren't entertaining either. No. So, yeah. Uh, Venus, great to see you back. Caroline had a tough section of the draws we talked about pre-tournament. Played Venus in Auckland, and then after playing Taylor Townsend in a pretty tough first-round match, yeah. she gets Victoria Azarenka, um, who had just beaten Sloane Stevens. This nightmare section. Azarenka was the one to make it out of there, although she didn't make the quarters, as expected. She lost to... Sibokova, who had a great Fantastic tournament. With, tournament. We didn't talk about, because I don't think anyone gave her any shot, but her draw was even was just as tough. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she started out with Flipkins, Peronkova, Cornet, Azarenka. Yeah. Then she got Serena. And she made it through. That's incredible. For someone yeah. who the bar was so low for her, which is yeah. a, not a height joke this time, <laughs> uh, she did great. But let's talk about Azarenka and what she reestablished here and how she's feeling, how she's enjoying this part of her career it's she it's so there's a lot of interesting data points on this on this lady (laughs) um tennis wise i loved what i saw from vika it was as best the best she's played in a year especially since her injury Uh um and she'll she'll make the charge up i mean i think that she's like maybe outside of the top 60 now something like that which is like weird so she'll have to like do the hard work to get back but she has no points to defend through the fr- uh, the French Open yeah none so you know that march will go up i think that she'll she's... be top 10 this time next year yeah i mean she's playing she's, she's healthy she's playing top 15 tennis if not top 10 yeah you know so it'll happen um so yeah i mean what did you make ben of kind of her um expressed well, explicit statements to the press about how she's kind of turned over a new leaf and is enjoying her tennis more and doesn't really give a crap what people think and is a unique human being and is just embracing her uniqueness. All of that. I think I think that's a, a kind of a, a... She was saying the same thing she always has on the I'm being myself and I don't care what people think. I mean, that's always kind of been her refrain um, but she was different though this time. She did yeah. a different vibe. She was saying that she had sort of, this is the interesting part where she's saying she sort of untaught herself her media training or, you know, learned to ignore that, which is interesting. She apparently is no longer with Benito Perez Barbadillo, who was the PR manager more famously with Rafa. They are not together anymore with Vika. Uh, she had also been media trained by Neil Harmon at some point and seems to have shaken, shaken that off. And she was interesting and press. Obviously, she had that bizarre exchange with me about fashion which i'll insert audio of here because i can't do it justice <laughs> keep trying to stay in that path and um continue continue to grow continue to improve obviously you were unseated ben i missed you so much this you haven't come up to my last press conference i have a question for you actually okay, what's your, you want to go first can i go yeah so over the last couple of years you had a lot of comments on fashion so I just wanted to, to hear your thoughts, because you haven't tweeted about it. About your outfit? Yeah, about everybody's outfit. You have fashion like, sense, so I just want to come curious. I like Serena's the most this year. Perfect. I think she won this tournament, sort of fashion-wise. Okay. Maria's is good, I like yours. 
the long sleeves I'm not sure about, but otherwise pretty good. So you think I should I should take off the long sleeves? Well, it's up to you. I don't know how you're feeling temperature. No, but from fashion fashion advice. Probably. It's a lot of one color. Okay, a lot of yellow color. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. My I appreciate it. Nope. Okay. Uh, you could have played anybody here. You were unseated. Yeah. But still, it has to be tough. Yeah, I didn't know what to make of that, but she seems like she's having fun and it's more relaxed, at least seemingly, and on court she's in a good place. So it's a it's an interesting, different Vika, and I'm looking forward to seeing her continue her climb back up on court because she was definitely a disruptive force in the game who was missing, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm curious to see what a Vika without a chip on her shoulder looks like because I really do feel like that chip that she played with through the 2013... The streak. Or, yeah, the streak and all that. like Yeah, yeah 2012 to 2013. Um, you know, the tongue wagging, the, the wagging of the finger. Um, there was kind of an edge to her, and there was a chip on her shoulder about wanting to prove people wrong and wanting to shut people up and to prove that her tennis was superior. And I really do think that in the tight moments, that chip does matter. And so I'm curious, like, the next time she plays Serena, for example, which we could have gotten if she beat Sabolkova as a quarterfinal, which would have been awesome. Yeah. But, you know, that, I mean, I I didn't really see that chip against Caroline because they're buddies or whatever. But, um, yeah, that that's what I'm curious about is, like, can she return to her championship winning ways as this, as she tells people, this kind of brand new cuddly Vika who likes to paint? <laughs> it was interesting. Yeah. Uh, bottom half of the draw, a few names we haven't mentioned yet. Uh, Bouchard, was. Mm. we mentioned the Toro briefly, um, but that, we're not going to get too into that because that was just kind of dopey. Um, she lost pretty routinely to Sharapova. Her junior army has a corporate sponsor now. I don't know what to think about that. <laughs> um, and also on that side, do you have any major thoughts on Jeannie other than the result? Um, I think that the way she lost to Sharapova was pretty shocking. Once again... Showing she doesn't have a B game. No, she tried she, to strike big, and then it's the same thing as what happened with her to pet uh, against Petra at Wimbledon. You would think, like after the ass kicking she took at Wimbledon, that she would learn that the definition of of insanity is trying the same thing and hoping for different results. And she's now done it three times. Yeah. Okay. Against Petra, she tried to be super aggressive, got hit off the court because and whatever. Then in Wu in Wuhan. In the Wuhan final, she was like, before that final, said, yeah, I need to be even more aggressive than I was at Wimbledon. That didn't end up well. Um, and then against Sharapova, again, like, prior to that match, she was like, I need to be more aggressive and da-da-da-da-da. And it doesn't freaking work. And no it doesn't B. make sense because it's like, you're not Petra Kvitova. Like, you're not a player who can't run around all day and, like, frustrate a big-hitting opponent. Like, that's what she can do. You're kind of a counterpuncher. Yeah. Like... I just don't get it. Aggressive counterpuncher. I mean, she didn't have a, I mean, a full-time coach here. She was here with Diego Ayala, who's somebody who she's known for a very long time. He used to be, like, head of coaching at Saviano's. But I don't know, man. Like, you're right. It's just the definition of insanity. So in that way, I thought she underperformed. She absolutely, like, tore through the draw before that. Yeah. I mean, she was incredibly dominant. Um, but against and, the game's best. Yeah. And you and we thought that she could give Sharapova a pretty good test. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so I don't I don't really know what is up with that. Um, but she needs to get she needs to stop being a little so hard headed about that. I think yeah. it's fair to say because the last she of was a counterpuncher as a junior. Yeah, she knows how to be a counterpuncher. 
So it's like the thing that you're doing, If like she was missing the ball long consistently against Sharapova and just racking up errors. It's like, okay, so I'm, I don't have my hitting game today. You drop back. You play some defense. You let your legs get you, keep you in the match. Yeah, that's what Djokovic was. That's great what Djokovic at doing was so good. While he was yeah. surviving his weird dips in form, he was re- resorting to his legs, running yeah. defense, and letting his arms get back into it. Yeah, so that can work for him, uh, for her, for sure too. Um, briefly, because you mentioned Saviano. Saviano was here with Sloane Stevens, who had a brutal draw. It's tough to judge her as a first-round loser because yeah. she lost to Vika, and that's just not fair. Although her preseason was not great. Her preseason was not great either. Two years removed from her semifinal here. She is now outside the top 40, I think. What do you make of the state of Sloane Stevens and or the relevance of Sloane Stevens at this point in tennis? Is she still a factor in the game? Is she someone worth us talking about right now? I don't really know what to think of Sloane Stevens. I don't know how to prognosticate her progress. or I know what I, I don't like certain things that I see, which is I think that... She's just total eye test. I think that she's not in the, as fit as she can be. Okay. I think there's that. She's still incredibly lazy around the ball. The small steps don't come. You're talking about somebody who is an incredible athlete. She may be the most gifted athlete in the women's game. And everything is so lazy. And that is incredibly disappointing. But just some of the things that she's saying in press as well... It's just surprising to me. We only got one look at her impressed because she lost first round, obviously. But she came in there and seeming to be trying to blame everybody else for her problems. Yeah. Or just not taking a lot of accountability, like and present company included on this. It was very strange. She sat down and started talking about the match, and then was like, "Well, you two referring to me and Matt Cronin like have been like tweeting things that aren't true," and she couldn't tell us what that was yeah. or. Okay. Yeah. But the last couple months, you've been out there, you started playing in December. I'm so glad that you're here because you two, you guys tweet some inaccurate things. Oh, do? Yeah. I thought it was good stuff. No, not perfect. You're the best source on you. Tell us what's happening. What is her team? Who is her team? Who is your team? Wasn't he here? Nick was here. So Nick was the one who told you that? Isn't Nick here? Yeah, he is. Yeah, so we've said Nick is there. No, that's not what I'm talking about. When right. you say per her team. Like when you say you get information like per her team. Mm, not me. Was it you? I don't remember which one talking about. It was somebody, about. and I was like, who's my team? I was like, could be John? Like one person. Right here. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's fine. Okay, anyways, well. But you wouldn't enjoy being without like the pressure that comes with the results you had in the 2013. I mean, no, because it doesn't really change because I lose and you guys are still here. So, I mean, you guys are still tweeting, you guys are still talking about me. Like, it's, I mean, it's not, it never really changes. Like, once you do something good and you're kind of, I mean, not that I'm bad at tennis, not that I'm great, but I'm a good tennis player. So, there's something to talk about there. And, I mean, it's definitely, I don't think it goes away once it's there, it's there. And uh, it's just something I kind of have to deal with. I mean, when you stop coming to press conferences, and I'll know there's something definitely wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Keep it moving. Like, is there anything in particular that you feel is misunderstood about you? Any misconception out there that you feel? I mean, I'm sure there's people feel a lot of different ways about me and think they know me or know my game or know my life. But, I mean, I think the only person that really can say that is my grandparents and my mom so and my brother. So, um, I mean, I don't 
what people feel about me is what they feel about me. I think Ben thinks I'm a nice person, so, I mean, <laughs> it's, it is what it is. I mean, somebody in here might not like me, but, I mean, there's nothing I can do. And there are things that I got confirmed by her agent, so it's like if somebody's not, you well, know. She, what was so funny is that she asked, she's like, what's my team? Who, when, what's that supposed to mean? And all of us are kind of like literally looking out of the corner of our eye to our agent, John Tobias, who's in the corner, and we're like, really? I was like, John? Like, uh, really? Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. The whole thing, she was just, her her heart and mind don't seem to be in a place that's conducive to winning right now, let's put it that way. And it'll be interesting to see what this year looks like for her because it's trending down on a slippery slope right now, and she needs to find a way to re-engage. And she's with Saviano. If that, if that partnership holds up, He's not going to settle for that. Right. So we'll see what he can get out of her. And I mean, I think that, look, the spotlight is only so big. And it's not on her anymore. No. I mean, that's the thing, is that, you know, obviously there's going to be the whole storyline about Serena and her chase for 22. Venus is resurgent and being awesome again, and that in and of itself is an amazing story at 34 years old. If she gets back into the top 10, that's ridiculous. Madison Keys. Madison Keys. Everybody sees in her what they don't see within Sloane Stevens, which is, here's a kid with weapons who is kind of unaffected, like she's mature, and she's, she may not be as charming as Sloane right. on a very base level, like, but she's a good kid. She's got a level head. She doesn't think of herself as something that she's not. Um, she's surrounded herself by people who will also continue to ground her, whether that's Lindsay or her mom and her sister or Max. Max Eisenbud, yeah. yeah. Um, so there's a lot to like about about. Madison and she's on the uptick. So the, the the spotlight is only so big. So she constantly kind of in press conferences will say like, well, when I'm, you know, if I lose in the first round, you guys will be here. And if I'm in quality, it's like, you guys will be here. And it's like, that's actually not, that's not true, gonna be true at all. First of all, I don't go to qualities. But yeah. <laughs> second, but a, a, a sec, aside from that, like if you are no longer relevant and my editors don't, are, would be, would rather me write about Madison or Serena or Venus, then I'm not going to be there. I'm not there to chat with you. It's not like a, it's not fun for me. Like, it's not like a, you know, it's just like, okay, well, if I don't have to be there, I'm not going to be there. There you go. To go to some more relevant players, um, in the third section of the dog, which we have not talked about yet, uh, Makarova is a name, word we have not mentioned yet on this yeah. podcast. She made the semifinals, Second straight slam, very quietly. Played pretty bad in the semifinal once she got there yeah. for the second straight time, getting trounced by Sharapova. She beat Simona Halep. Um, that would assume Simona Halep showed up. Simona, that was, in terms of like most disappointing performance in a match, yeah, in a whole be. tournament, I would probably give it to Halep against Makarova. Because she, she was peaking. I mean, she was each match she was playing better and better and better. And then, yeah, just totally did, not, did not show up. It's very similar to what happened to her last year against uh, Sibokova. Sibokova. Yeah. She just didn't show up. And it's like, where is that coming from? And, I mean, I wasn't in her post-match press conference, Ben, so tell us what happened and what your thoughts were. Yeah, no, people were very struck that she was, she was upset with herself. She clearly was. But at the same time, she was like, quarterfinals, good result, it's enough. And she sort of had this sort of rationalizing of it. And, it, like, as we were leaving the room, and it, I don't think it reflected quite as drastically in the in the transcript, but how her tone was, like, didn't have, like, fire in it. And I think people were, as we were leaving the room, people were like, wow, that was not what you want to hear yeah. from people. And so with her, with her firing Wim Fissette and moving on to a Romanian coach, it's questions are, but she did win Shenzhen the week, you know, first week of the year, so it's she tough to know. She didn't have to play anybody. She didn't have to play anybody, no. But 
it's tough to know like what exactly her her hunger is, and it's not a ridiculous question to say about the world number three, but there is a certain amount of um, insanity you need to buy into this lack of satisfaction. Like I need to be better, I need to be better. That you need to be to be a Grand Slam champion, to be one of these absolute absurdly gifted great athletes, and maybe she's just being a little too normal and a little too rational and a little too grounded right See, now. I don't think that actually it's, it is that. I don't think it's a, an issue of rationality and logic and whatever. I think that so much of Simona Halep's uh, energy is devoted to minimizing pressure and stress. Okay. So there is a level of delusion there, actually. You're the number three. You didn't make the, the I mean, quarters. Okay, but we expect you to make the semis. She didn't beat anybody on the way. No, no she, she played well, anybody. but didn't beat anybody. No, she didn't beat anybody. So, and you just put in a really terrible performance. So, you know, it's not like you made it to the quarters and got, like, beat in what was a great match, better player, whatever. So, but I do get, I mean, you know, like, before the tournament, I think I asked her, I was like, How are you, you know, do you feel the pressure or whatever? She's like, no, 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 I don't feel pressure. Like, I don't, you know, this tournament, there's so many people who can win this tournament. I don't feel the, and because of that, I don't feel the pressure of, like, making quarterfinals. Like, because so many people can win this tournament, which is like a weird thing to think of from the number three. Yeah. Um, but then on court, after she played kind of a crappy match, uh, maybe in her first or second round, first round maybe, um, and people were like, and the on-court interview was like, are, you know, how are you dealing with the pressure? She's like, yeah, it's tough. Like, you know, like, of course I feel it, you know, and the expectation, but I'm just taking one match at a time, et cetera, et cetera. So I do think that a lot of her energy is spent towards like convincing herself that there's no pressure when she also knows that there is that is fair um she did well last person we'll mention briefly in that section of the draws Ivanovic she lost first round to Radechka after making the Brisbane final just you know it was a crap day for her Radechka played well is a powerful player she did yeah played very well but disappointing for Anna I don't know what, the, what else there is to say about that just one bad flame out match and not the kind of, and her slam results have been way behind her regulatory results so now. So poor. So she has points to gain at those tournaments is the bright future thing. But it's yeah, like the Petra Kvitova situation. Exactly. Everybody. I mean, all the women last year had bad, were bad at the slams, top women, except for Jeannie and Halep. So yeah, that's a good point. Pretty much everybody has room to grow. Uh, so that's... The ranking's interesting. Yeah, it's very interesting indeed. So that was the results on court, fairly, fairly thoroughly, about everything that happened. Corey, how was the Australian Open for you in general? How was it at, at, from, your, mm. from your view at your desk? My desk. Um, it started out horribly. I got really sick on the Friday before the tournament, um, getting the fever. There was, I mean, in case people didn't realize, I mean, there was like clearly some sort of bug going around both the press center and the locker room. Yeah, players had it. Serena, Djokovic... Gerges had to retire from the double semifinal mm. because she was sick. Mm. Um, yeah, so it was it was pretty brutal. And so, yeah, I got struck down by, like, a fever for about 48 hours and then um, was struggling with, like, coughing and stuff like that. But, yeah, so that made the first, like, few days really, really rough and kind of brutal because I, I couldn't really leave the desk because I couldn't be out in the sun. I was really tired and, like, sniffly and coughing and hacking and... So I felt really bad. So I kind of feel like the first like two or three days of the tournament just flew right by because I didn't, I wasn't able to engage in the tournament in the way that I would normally. But otherwise, the rest of it was really good. Um, got to watch a lot of tennis, obviously. Catch up with some friends. Melbourne's a great city to just hang out in. 
after hours, so that is also good. Um, and at the end of the day, the number one and the number one won. So not that like I wouldn't love to see other res results, but it feels like it was relevant tournament insofar as that happened. It really wasn't. It set up things pretty well, and it was a very good tournament. We haven't said this directly, but it was a great tournament for American tennis. Yeah. I mean, Serena won, obviously. Venus quarters, Madison semi, Bringle fourth round. Bringle. Uh, Vandeweghe making third round, being Schoester in a great stage. match. Smichek getting the, the big stage against Rafa, playing very well. I getting, thought Johnson played very Johnson well Johnson made well. third round. Smichek, I was going to say, also was on, on a guest on Hang Up and Listen yeah. last week. So if you haven't heard that, that's a... Uh, show both of us have been on as a sports podcast by Slate, so you can go listen to his segment there, which is interesting. About Isner had an awesome rock racket smash on it, route to a three straight uh, straight set loss to Gilles Muller. That was a terrible loss, but bad loss. Great racket smash. Query had a bad loss too, late in the fifth to Pospisil, double faulting on match point. Um, yeah, it was a, it was a pretty solid week for the Americans, and you know overall. I thought Kudla played really well against uh, mm -hmm. Feliciano Lopez early on. Had match mm -hmm. points, couldn't mm -hmm. convert them. Feliciano Lopez so lucky to make it as far as he did. So lucky because he got saved match points against Kudla first of all. Then he was down six four six four four zero to Manorino when Manorino got sick. Um, that was just remar remarkable. Bethany stuff. won doubles. Bethany did win the doubles. She also made third round of singles. After and played very real, I thought a very good and smart match against Simona Halep. Yeah, Halep solid. had to play well. So Bethany's looking like if she keeps healthy, yeah. she can be top 50 again. Yeah. Varver made third round, but they got sick and went to the hospital. It all, all good, <laughs> good week for American tennis. Good good fortnight. And uh, Bryant did lose early. Yeah. But other than that, pretty solid stuff. Um, but overall, how was your tournament? It was fine. It was busier than expected. A lot of, a lot of rallying, which is rallying. a good thing. Racket rally is going well. Um, I wish I remember the name of the person who won. But congratulations to the person who won. It was interesting because we invented the game and didn't know... Like, how people would play, first of all. We didn't know what people's strategies would be. We also didn't know what strategies would always work best. And it was sort of a medley. Like, people who went heavy on Kyrgios was the most common theme mm. of people who did well. Because he was pretty cheap and people had a lot of faith in him. Because uh, people, like, Kyrgios was a hotter pick pre-tournament than Madison Keys. Mm -hmm. Because sure, her sure. draw was tougher and he, she, he has more hype and whatever. So people did well there. Um, I didn't do very well myself. I had my two shares of Pova. I, I, bet, I, went, I went big on Pliskova, so I was sad when she yeah. lost. That was disappointing. Um, but yeah, I did talk to Pliskova. She was much cheerier and sunshinier than everyone expected from seeing <laughs> her on court, and even some just around the tour. So that was interesting mm -hmm. uh, in a good way. And yeah, it was a solid, solid, happy tournament. It was pretty good. Happy slam indeed. Um, no real complaints. The weather was really nice, and it yeah. wasn't so hot. It was like hoodie weather. It was hoodie weather. Which is... A vast improvement yeah. over lobster weather. Yeah, so, this is true. Even though you were lobstered anyway. I was, I was. But I think I'm not anymore. No, you're so good. You've good. got like a tan, a rosy glow, if you will. <sighs> Just a glow. <laughs> so yeah, so it was good times and solid tournament. Looking forward to... It's our first one for... Last one for well, for me until India Wells. So yeah. it's nice. Nice little intermission here. And it's good. a nice place to be down under again. Yeah. We will close out with our Rant Rave segment, but before we do that, a friendly reminder, as always, to follow us on Twitter, at NCR underscore tennis. You can like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash NCR podcast. If you like the show, you can subscribe to us on your podcasting platform of choice, iTunes, whatever, and leave us reviews in the iTunes store. That's about it. You can also join, if you want to play Racket Rally, there's a No Challenges Many League you can join. I should know who won that. I'm sorry, I don't know. Whoever you are, though, good on you for winning this. I'm sure it wasn't me. 
We had about 200 people join the NCR League, which is pretty solid. Uh, so let's end with the rant raves. Courtney, what do you have on your mind? I have a rant. Okay. <laughs> ben and I talk a lot about TV shows. Yep. We get each other into TV shows and things like this. And so Ben was like, hey, you should watch the fourth season of Homeland <laughs> because it's like so good. And it's actually rebounded really well because Ben knows that I absolutely hated the third season As of Homeland. As did most everybody. It was absolutely fucking terrible. Um, so I was like, okay, well, I've got a long flight. And so on site, because we have good Wi-Fi and we don't have Wi-Fi at our apartment. Um, I was like, okay, I'll go buy it. So I buy it. Whatever. And it turns out that I bought the freaking third season of Homeland, the season that I hate because I thought that that was the most current season and Ben had to break it to me. Like, he's like, wait, but how far are you? And I was like, I don't know, through season two? And he's like, oh, okay. And then... I asked her what the last thing you'd seen. Yeah, the last thing I'd seen. And I was like, oh, well, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, oh, no, that's season three. I was like, oh, (laughs) 20 bucks. So annoying. So wait, can you do can you do returns in the iTunes store? They used to be. I don't know. I'm just really annoyed. And our I'm Wi-Fi really at annoyed. our apartment is terrible. Yeah, it's not like here. I can like go and buy so the fourth now. You couldn't even download it. Yeah, like I wanted to download a podcast that was 15 megabytes, and it took two hours. Jeez, it's not That's easy. Not helpful. It's not helpful. Here. Which should explain why it might take a little time for this podcast to get up because we have to fly home. So I'm hoping the Wi-Fi will be better on the plane over the Pacific Ocean than it is <laughs> on land here in Melbourne. It's, oh, a, it's a fairly unwired city. You so. are so stuck in the 90s. But speaking of TV, rave-wise, though, we've enjoyed Broad City this week, which is I already great. had enjoyed it, but I introduced Broad City, which is this great show on Comedy Central, to Ben, and you are smitten. It's pretty great. <laughs> it's pretty great. It just makes me happy. Two ladies being awesome, being funny, being likable. It's like Imagine Girls if it was actually funny. And they were likable, which is a stretch. Let's be clear. <laughs> Let's be clear. I like girls. But yes, I mean, we were talking about it because we were watching the season, uh, the first season and the beginning of the second season. And we were just like, I want to be friends with them. And very rarely is that actually like a a, a combination. You know, normally there's like one likable one and one who's like not likable. But They work together really yeah. well. Abby Jacobson, Alana Glazer. You guys are amazing. Cool people. Yeah. So there you go. There's your rave rant. Broad uh, City. Broad City is your ra- ra- rave. Homeland Season Homeland 3. Homeland Season 3 is my rant. <laughs> it's just a weird timing for yeah. that rant. It was years ago. Um, my rave mostly, rant at the end, It's been, we were staying in the middle of Melbourne this time, which has been really nice um, because there's like late night food options and stuff and just being in the center of the city, we'd stayed kind of more, a little bit out in the suburbs the last few years, which was nice too, but this was just much more practical. vibrant and practical and all sorts of great stuff. Um, we, I should be raving about dumplings. We had a lot of great dumplings here at Dumplings Plus on Swanston Street, which is great. Uh, very, very good. Very tasty. No pretense. Face Cheap. stuffing. Cheap. Great stuff. Um, but my rave is about... A place also on the block called China Bar, uh, which I went to probably uh, like seven times this tournament during uh, because it was open twenty four hours, and so I would get off site, leave at like two thirty a.m., three o'clock, three thirty a.m. There's nothing else open. I would go there, and I would get um, the chicken and mushroom fried rice, extra extra spicy with no chicken because I got the chicken the first time it wasn't very good. Um, and it was so nice that by like the third time, the the woman who was working the night shift there, like knew my order and would like put it in and said like, Oh, you want like the normal or the usual? And it's such like a small town comforting feeling to have someone ask you if you want the usual. 
and I feel bad that I'm leaving, and I will never order. She, she's not going to know if I come back in a year. She doesn't know your deal. She no. doesn't know your story. She doesn't know my deal, my, that I'm just here as a visitor. <laughs> I can't, me and my heart and my stomach are picking up and leaving tomorrow. So I would just say, I've only been asked if I wanted the usual one other time in my whole life, and that was at a Taco Bell near where <laughs> I used to work in the summer of 07, where I used to get uh, chicken quesadillas with extra creamy jalapeno sauce. I have weird orders, which makes them more memorable, which is why I get asked if I want the usual. But with that one, it was like the usual, and then how many, because sometimes I'll get two, sometimes I'll get three, yeah, two or three usually. So I'm just saying, I'm going to miss being asked if I wanted the usual, although the last night they got the order wrong, and they put chicken in it. <laughs> And it was a sour note to leave on, not going to lie. Maybe it makes it, maybe, maybe it's a little easier to say goodbye. Yeah. Maybe I needed that. That's true. Say goodbye. Because it was tough. Yeah. So with that, we say goodbye to Melbourne. Yeah. It's been lovely. We will talk to you again soon in February uh, via the Skype from wherever we are in the world. And then eventually we'll be back together in Indian Wells yep. uh, come March. So look forward to that. And we'll hopefully have some fun guests and stuff there. Maybe even before there. Who knows? And... It'll be fun times. Thanks for listening, guys. See you on the Four other side of the world. Four and three and two and one. Bye. to feel